Good evening. You are listening to Three Moves Ahead, and I'm your host, Rob Zachney. Joining me tonight to answer all your deepest, darkest strategy gaming questions is 3MA founder, Troy Goodfellow. Hello, everyone. And we also welcome our elite regular panelist, Bruce Garrick. Bonjour, joueurs. I see you're very excited about the Tour de France. I was just trying to keep this podcast legal in Canada. Oh, it's been it's been illegal in Canada for a long time. Like, I have to record this from my basement. Damn it, Troy, and you are, you are a Canadian compliance officer. This is, <laughs> why, this is why 3MA Corporate is just such a basket case. Uh, I didn't get the files. Uh, that email alert I keep getting. Uh, so anyway, this week we're going to be taking questions from the audience that you've submitted via our forums at idlethumbs.net and to the 3MA Twitter, uh, which is just at 3MA. Uh, so you've been sending us questions for about the last week, which is fantastic because uh, I've been doing a bit of traveling and haven't had time to prepare a regular topic. So it's great to have your questions. And uh, I guess we'll just dig in. Uh, Troy, what did we get via our Twitter? Well, this is to my personal Twitter. Um, I didn't have to, I should check the 3MA one, shouldn't I? So basically you dropped the ball in Canadian compliance and yeah, 3MA Twitter. because I am 3MA, right? Okay. So. Just wait for that email from the culture ministry. Yeah, Canadian culture ministry. Sell hockey and Leonard Cohen. Mm. Well, I guess Don't a couple were to a couple to the three MA thing. Okay, that's right. Yep. Michael Hermes, okay. you have your cut out for you. Uh, I suck at everything today. All right. So yeah. Um, so let's start with uh, one from uh, Nicholas Delillo, who sent us a question over Twitter. Um, how has your approach to strategy games changed over the last few years? What do you prefer now, or what have you tired of? I'm tired of losing. As a Republican, you should be used to that. Oh, my gosh. This is going this way, huh? Um, <laughs> so I can start that off because I think yeah. that's actually true. I am kind of tired of losing. Um, I am less tolerant of games that um, that force me to fail a whole bunch of times. Okay. Do you have an example in mind? or? Um, well, I guess... I feel like uh, your one of your favorite games is less appealing to me now than it was when I first reviewed it probably, oh gosh, was it 13 years ago? Uh, Europa Universalis. Mm-hmm. Uh, I find that games like that, while I fundamentally agree with everything they stand for, I'm not able to play them as uh, effectively or as... Um, as enjoyably as I was in the past, because I simply don't have the ability to spend, you know, hours and hours and hours for days on end figuring things out. And I would love to do that, um, but I can't. And uh, I find that the incomplete uh, exploration of a game is much less satisfying to me. The incomplete exploration of a deep game like that is much less satisfying to me than the complete exploration of, of of what you would call a shallower game. So while I'm completely on board with things like that, uh, I just I um, I tend to shy away from them a little bit because I know that as far as I get into them is not going to be enough to really find out the things I want to find out about how they work because I love breaking them down and they just take a long time to break down. Rob, you know I'm, it's difficult to track how my tastes have changed uh, when it when it comes to like game genres or, or types of games. I think if you listen to the show, you can definitely like detect certain evolution, like my growing impatience with aspects of the forex genre, which we talked about a few weeks ago on the podcast. But in terms of like, does what I want out of strategy games uh, has, has that changed a lot? I don't think so. Not not that much. Uh, I, I feel like I kind of still enjoy a lot of the things I did a few years ago. Maybe if anything, I'd become a little more forgiving. At times, I, I think maybe what changes more is you just get uh, as you as you get increasingly saturated uh, with a genre, you become less and less tolerant for things that are just sort of uh, hewing closely to conventions. Uh, and right. I feel like that came up a little bit when we were talking about um, uh, Order, Order of Battle Pacific, where where Tom and Bruce were so over that kind of game. Uh, but I'd kind of skipped over a lot of games like that, so it's still sort of. You know, it's something that's sort of novel to me when it appears. But as far as has there been some sort of shift in the last few years? I don't think so. Not for me. 
I think I'm kind of with Bruce on this, and that it's just a matter, it's such a matter of time with me, uh, not having time for games that are. But for me, it's not. I mean, Europe Universal. That's a game that I played for like forever and all the iterations. So it's not that much of a buy-in for me to understand the interface. Plus, working on it, but really, I mean, games that don't have that require me to learn. I, mean, I don't mind losing a lot in games because I've always sucked at games. Losing is perfectly fine with that. I'm perfect, but it's I don't have the time to. I can't spend five hours to get to the meat of a game, a new game, uh, which is you know, one of my issues with a lot of 4X games. And I think why I really like Endless Legend, I don't care that the end game is terrible because I usually don't play to the end game. The end game's not the best, but everything else, the early and mid game is so good. And that's what I see the most of because that's when I start and stop games. That's wonderful. Um, and games kind of hide that, that hide the mid game, that, that sort of kind of hide the meat of the game in the, in the middle. Like if Imperialism came out today, that's like what Bruce called once uh, the classic slow burn game. Mm-hmm. I wonder if I have time for a slow burn game these days. Hmm. Um, if something that would take me that long to really see where the fun is. Because, um, I mean, imperialism is so much setting things in place mm-hmm. and then watching everything explode, like the late mid game. And, the, and there's the, uh, uh, combinations of things get more complicated and you get to get the better weapons out and battles aren't as stupid and you get the really good stuff and the real the diplomacy gets interesting because you're fighting over colonies and not just you know sending prospectors out looking for stuff mm-hmm. uh, where the real meat is but i have time for that sort of thing these days and i kind of i would like to hope i would because one of my favorite games ever but i can't honestly say for sure uh that it's a game that i would have the time for so i think it's yes it's, it's games i think that that don't let me get to the meat fast um, which is kind of a sad thing because so many of my favorite games are games about patience. Um, and I know when I go on vacation, and I've got a week before my travel uh, this summer, and I'm going to spend that going through you know games that take forever to get into because I don't have the time to do that during the week, really, uh, in the evenings to you know sit down and learn Distant Worlds, for example, mm-hmm. a game that's just bounced off of me. Um, but I'm hearing such amazing things about it. I've, I feel like I've got to play it or I'm not doing my job right. Um, but that's a game that takes a bit of getting into. I mean, Last Federation, another one, uh, a game that requires uh, quite a bit of buy-in. And so many of the games in this genre, the, the bigger ones do require that buy-in, but now it's a, if it's a franchise I already know or a setting I already know, I don't mind spending that time because I kind of know where it's going. So there's not as many surprises. I don't have to worry that I'm going to get there and nothing's going to be there. So yeah, I think I'm partly with Bruce and just the, the, how time has changed how I approach games. Uh, that actually ties into something that uh, Prokeon Lotor asked uh, on the forums. Uh, he asks, of all the hobbies in the world, of all the hobbies in the world and all the gin joints, of all the hobbies mm-hmm. in the world <laughs> and all the different genres of games, why are strategy, strategy games your, your hobby and obsession? Why do you prefer specific types of strategy games, i.e. 4X, War Games, RTS? Have those reasons changed over the years? I ask this question because it's one I've been pondering a lot recently. I've always felt a little bit guilty about my love of strategy games. I feel like I'd probably be a better person if I was into fishing or something. I should drink less, <laughs> eat better, exercise more, and game less. Convince me mm. otherwise. Oh, I'm not going to convince you otherwise. But uh, I, I, that's, I saw that question, too. I, I really, I'm glad that you, um, you picked it up. I really do want to answer that. The... I don't think that uh, anything makes you a better person. Like what? I don't think your hobbies make you a better person. I don't think it matters one bit if you watch uh, Mary Tyler Moore or. Um, oh my or, God, these references, Bruce! You're killing me. I don't know. Or, um, or uh, you know, have season tickets to the to the opera. It just it just doesn't matter. That kind of stuff. That's what other people think about you. That is how other people that's that's people making irrelevant opinions about you if you like watching some stupid tv show just go ahead and watch a stupid tv show um you're nobody's impressing anybody by going and reading a bunch of turgenev i mean it just doesn't make any sense but i think that that kind of um that kind of sentiment is natural and normal and it sort of speaks to the idea that i think as people move from just sort of this this complete ability to uh immerse themselves in 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 sort of play worlds um as i think as you get older and older that becomes harder and harder to do and at some point you start thinking to yourself well you know am i wasting my time and the and i think the answer is if you feel like you may be wasting your time then you might be but 
for your reasons only, right? I mean, and 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 I think as people move along, you know, they 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 have kids, they have family, they have to spend time, you know, on all sorts of different things. Their jobs become more, you know, uh, th- there's more responsibility in their job. You just can't just come home and forget about it and then go back to work. You know, there's things going on all the time, and um, you know, you have responsibilities to your professional development, right? You j- it's not just your job, but it's about you, and you have to keep current in various things, and and all these things take, t- you know, um, take. Uh, chunks out of your time. So the way that you do leisure stuff is changes. And of course, you get more disposable income, you know, before when, you know, a big purchase was buying a $60 game and playing it all weekend, you know, uh, a, um, a, a different way to spend that weekend might be, you know, flying to Los Angeles or flying to New York and spending the weekend shopping, right? I mean, there's different stuff to do. So you may not think that sitting and playing a game for an entire weekend is is really a uh, a thing that you want to be doing, but it has nothing to do with you know making you a better person. And I think that um, if you really sit down to play a game and, and you really enjoy it, then that's great. And I I'm gonna I'm going to um, tell tell you how kind of my experience of games has changed. I can't sit down and and play um, twelve hours of XCOM like I I you know probably 20 something years ago i could i used to go over to my friend's house and we would sit down and we would take turns playing missions and we would look over each other's shoulders and we would you know get all excited about this and point out this mistake and 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 sort of you know uh kibitz with each other and uh I, I mean i can't do that i don't have the time nor do i feel that that's a thing that would satisfy me now spending 12 hours you know doing that but that doesn't mean that that somehow is is not valuable, and I spent that time very gladly, and I wouldn't give that back. I mean, it's I really I don't feel like I should have gone fishing, right? I mean, that's stuff mm. that I thought was very. I mean, I still have very fond memories, and the and the, the friendships that uh, I have that all you know have come through, about through gaming are are are, uh, are fantastic. So there's n- I have nothing to apologize for, nor nor will I ever apologize for it. But you know, as I move along, I start thinking about what kind of things interest me. And so as I've moved more, and I think this this kind of in a roundabout way answers the question is that what am I interested in, in in terms of gaming? Well, one thing I've really found is that the way that I approach historical games and my understanding of history have changed. I, I, I feel like only now do I really, am I really able to sort of intellectually and sort of emotionally engage a lot of the the his, the historiography that i'm reading um you know i maybe was too ideological as a as a younger person um but i feel like those games really really bring out what i find fascinating about history and make it possible to understand that history and appreciate it in a way that i don't think i could do if i didn't play the games and of course had a certain kind of you know imaginative mind that that it needs that kind of engagement so if you if you want to learn to play guitar, if you want to learn Chinese, if you want to learn to cook, if you want to eat better, if you want to, you know, you can you can still game and eat better and game and exercise. You could do all those things. So it's it they're they're not these things are not all mutually exclusive. You should do what you think is going to satisfy you. And if that happens to be playing games, then that's great. Don't feel bad about it because somebody else thinks that you should, you know, be composing music. Yeah, I think that um that answer encompasses a lot of the things that that I would have said and, and probably more eloquently along the way. The thing I would add to that is, you know, why strategy games and without getting into the differences between various forms of strategy gaming, like why strategy games at all? Why, why is this sort of uh, something I, I was sort of drawn to and, and spent so much time on, st- so much time on over the years. Part of that definitely came from an interest in history. Um, when I was just getting into PC gaming, it was all very new. Uh, I remember sort of uh, going around Babbage's, and I was allowed to get one game, uh, you know, but just one. Mm-hmm. I really had to mm-hmm. think about which game it was going to be. Exactly. Uh, and what looked awesome to me was games about history that I just sort of encountered recently, right? So, like, I just seen Patton. So, like the uh, you know the Avalon Hill, I think it was like Market Garden game. You know, looked pretty cool. Uh, so, so that's kind of how I ended up getting into it. But why did I stay into it? Why does it remain kind of a passion? And I think that's because um, I play a lot of other I play a lot of other genres, and I enjoy them. And I, I don't mean to sort of be backhanded about them, but I, I do feel like strategy games can keep things fresh 
in a way that a lot of other genres sometimes struggle to do. Like, I uh, get very tired of the repetition of, say, like an RPG, when, you know, the first, you know, 50 or 100 encounters might be cool and exciting, but after a point, you know, you've got that combat system nailed down. You understand it. And at this point, you're just kind of, you know, checking the boxes to your character to level up so you can go on and do the next quest and advance the stories. And, you know, you can get really reductive and you play enough of those games. Uh, eventually, it just sort of starts to feel like you're, you're just doing the same thing. It can feel like you're doing the same thing over and over again. Uh, and I feel like in strategy games... There's more room for that to be changed up in some interesting ways. That's not to say that, like, you know, one hex war game can't be an awful lot like another. That's not to say, like, playing a real-time strategy game doesn't sometimes become an exercise in sort of rote repetition. But I think when you consider, like, strategy as a whole, uh, there's a lot of new, like, mental... Like, there's, a, there's a lot of new territory uh, for, for, for your brain to go explore, and interpret and understand and learn about in a way that I think is unique among genres. And it's also a misnomer to call strategy genre, right? It's, it's many genres. It's an entire like facet of gaming. But I think that's one reason why I've sort of been drawn to it over the years. I don't have much to add to either of those. I mean, I've, like Rob, I was drawn to strategy games through my interest in history and politics. And, you know, it's like Rob says, it's, uh, I keep coming back because of the possibilities, but also it's because, you know, probably stuck with them for the longest time because it was better bang for the buck. You know, you'd buy Civilization, yes. you could play it forever. Sure, yeah, yep. that's a great that, point. that is something that, you know, we can still do that now, but that, that uh, changes your tastes, right? I mean, you got Harpoon and it's got 70 scenarios and you can play them from both sides or mm -hmm. Operational Art of War and you can do all kinds of weird things with it. And Then you had a multiplayer and Age of Empires and Age of Kings and does, they're games, you, and if you only have so much money to spend when you're in grad school, a game that will last you a very long time is a very good thing. Yeah. And that will, that will shape your tastes and that will shape your preferences. I mean, what we consume does affect our expectations. Yeah. And I think you said you also put in one word there, multiplayer. And of course, multiplayer is possible in a, in a variety of genres. But, um, you know, as as I've kind of changed in my consumption of gaming, you know, I don't I'm not really going to ever sit down on a you know free Saturday afternoon and play, you know, war game airland battle by myself. But if you and and the same probably the same thing with uh, Offworld Trading Company. But if you and Rob, you know, text me and say, hey, you, you know, you want to jump in some airline battle? Be like, yeah, give me 10 minutes. Uh, it's, um, it's just, it's something that I love doing, uh, with people. We have, um, a couple, uh, email games of some, some, uh, board games going. Um, I love the back and forth with the opponents, um, we're discussing things that we're doing. It's just, it's, it, it's a, it's a strategy allows that, especially turn-based strategy, because I send my turn to somebody and say, Hey, you know, I, you know, what do you think of this? And he's like, oh, well, uh, you know, that's really pretty historical, but it's a good trick you pulled. And we just talk about the, the situation yeah. itself. So um, it lends itself to that. And I love the multiplayer part of that in all ways. Troy, next question. Uh, this is from our co-podcasters, Explorminate. They do a Forex uh, theme podcast, Explorminate.com, I think is their address. Mm -hmm. And he asks, uh, of the recent war games, Vietnam 65, Order of Battle, etc., which one would you most recommend to newcomers? Because he wants to get into this type of gameplay. Where do we want to point him? Do they have to be new ones? I don't think they have to be new ones, but I think a recent one will be easier to find. But something you can find so, on Steam, I think, so would be decent. We're going to assume he already knows about Unity of Command, right? Yeah, that's because that's yeah. what I was going to say. Yeah. Like, I mean, why why could, wouldn't yeah, you play Unity of Command? Unity of Command is easily the best new war game in the last five years, I would think. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, yeah. so Unity of Command. If you want something from this year... I would probably, I mean, Vietnam 65 is just such a breath of fresh air, but it's not like so many other war games that I wonder. Yeah, I, I you know what, I think I would, I would have somebody try it because I, I don't think that, I think a good game really stands on its own, whether or not it's, yeah. you know, I, I think you whether, would just. Whether or, not, whether or not it's emblematic of the genre, yeah. Right, exactly. So I, I definitely think Vietnam 65, especially with the patch, uh, where you can see the freaking hexes, uh, is, uh, is, where I would steer people. I wouldn't I wouldn't steer somebody to order Battle Pacific just because I, I just don't think anyone should really be playing it. And I, I would say Unity of Command, even though it's a very difficult game and it's challenging, I think that it's it's easy to understand. You know why you're going wrong. 
Again, you, you can you, you, you can see your failure like two turns coming, and then it's about, okay, can I get there in time? Um, which I think is really quite nice to see. And it's a game with a, and it's a game with an idea. Um, it's a game that has a theory, uh, which is nice to see. And it looks Rob? great. And Rob, yeah, I heard your, th- your, un- your under the breath uh, comment, and I just wanted to say that I should correct myself. I don't think anyone should be playing Order of Battle Pacific by statute. By statute? By statute, yes. I think okay, it should so, be- so you're saying it's standing against big government. I- I'm, I'm, taking, I'm, I'm saying that it, there should be actually uh, some legal recourse uh, against oh. people who actually choose to play Order of Battle Pacific. Okay, wow. Yeah. All right. So now, now it comes out. Now, now, now the real. Now what you really think of that podcast topic really just comes boiling to the surface and the seething so is, disdain. Uh, is there is there a war game you would recommend, Rob? Do you want to do want to make the case order of battle here, or do you want to? Uh, no, uh, because I, I I do think like you know it, it's an odd thing because I I feel like once upon a time Panzer General was this ideal sort of entry-level war game, but there's more diversity in the war game space now, and I don't feel like... That's that's now a type of war game, an order of battle, sort of an exercise on that one type of war game, and mm-hmm. it's it's one that I really enjoyed. But it's not necessarily the place I'd say, like, oh yeah, go, go start with that, because it's so, it's so instantly compelling. Uh, mm-hmm. I, I'm not so sure it, it works on that level. I think um, you, yeah, Unity of Command is a great one, because it's just so... It's like, solving those puzzles is just so damn uh, enticing. You just want to keep doing it and, and seeing if you can do it a little better. Um, Ultimate General Gettysburg. Uh, if you want yeah. something a little more, uh, a little flashier, yeah, uh, but also point. gives you a lot of the the flavor of like what real time wargaming looks like and, and the sort of dynamics of you know linear warfare and things like flank bonuses and you know conservation of morale and and when to charge. That game sort of touches on all those bases, and I think it's improved steadily with, with some patches. So I think that's mm-hmm. a th- that's a good option, and yeah. If you, Really, we just had exciting news about the operational art of war. Um, Matrix has just, I think, rolled out their final patch for the operational art of war three, mm-hmm. and uh, they're they're coming out with a new uh, the operational art of war, which is very exciting to me because the the one thing I'll say is that's not an entry level game, but mm-hmm. the thing that I would say about games like that that survey a large swath of history and model tons mm-hmm. of different conflicts, even if they mm-hmm. don't necessarily model them well. Yeah. You can usually find something that aligns with something you're vaguely interested in and familiar mm-hmm. with, and that yeah. brings the game to life in a yeah. way that it is irreplaceable. Yes. We should get Ralph Tricky on. Again, we should get yes, him on again. He was great. Yeah. Next question. Yeah, so uh, give me just one second, because I feel like uh, I had a good one lined up. In every game review episode, Rob says he's great at this specific game. All hail Rob. He also says that he likes the game more than the others. All hail Rob. Is there a link between mastery and liking the game? Does Rob use any special techniques to master all those games so quickly? All hail Rob from Illitarist on the Idle Thumbs forums. Well, Illitarist, first of all, cheat codes. Do not think I'm fooled by your outward displays of devotion. I'm going to have your account banned for your insolence. I know what I, I know what I'm getting. I know what I'm getting getting played. Mm-hmm. So yeah, we're just gonna let me just shut that guy's account mm-hmm. right the fuck down. All right, uh, no, but but seriously, uh, what do you think? Link between mastery and liking the game. Why don't I turn it over to you guys to start? To an extent, I mean, if it's, a, if, it's a, if it's an earned mastery, like if it's a game that I've spent time learning and I get good at it, but it's still challenging, then yeah. I mean, if it's a mastery, but I feel like this is an insultingly easy game to learn then that's a different thing, right? Um, then it's like playing t- t- t-ball when you're 16. Yeah, I'm, I'm really good at t-ball, but I'm also 16. Um, so there's these... So I think it depends on the kind of mastery. But I, I do think we are kind of drawn to things we, we're really good at and we want to share that. Mm-hmm. And I think we, we're sometimes blinded by the fact that not everybody will be good at the game the same good at the same games as us for lots of reasons, either because of time or because of reaction speeds or because they just don't get a system or they're mildly dyslexic or something. Uh, but we always want to evangelize for the game for certain games. And also, I think the games that we're good at that we really like are the games we spend more time with. So we become good at them. Mm-hmm. And I think I think that is a factor as well. I'm not sure how that fits into our review shows because we generally don't have that much time to get good at the games and you're just preternaturally talented, Rob. So, uh, 
But I, th- I think there there is a connection, but I don't think it's exclusive because there are some games I'm kind of that I'm not great at that I that I kind of really like. Like um, I've played a lot of XCOM, but I've never finished it. Not that I'm bad at it, but I just never finished it because I keep either getting distracted and doing something wrong and losing a sniper and just not wanting to do it again. That's I get distracted. I mean, I'm bad at the game. I don't know, but I won't call myself a master of XCOM. I understand it. Um, a lot of games, when you're in the review business, you might never get good at them, but you understand what makes them work and you understand the system. You might not be able to play the system well, but you understand it. So you can write about it and you can critique it. So being good at a game doesn't necessarily mean you're qualified to review a game either. Um, so there's all kinds of stuff going on here. Bruce? I don't think, I don't think that, uh, mastery of a game has anything to do with how much I like it. Um, it's, it's a different kind of thing for me. I think there's so many other elements to why I like certain games that, that mastery really has nothing to do with it. Um, I can easily see, uh, the good qualities in a game that mystifies, or I, I shouldn't say mystifies me because if I don't understand a game. I probably won't like it simply because right. there's something, you know, that I'm missing. But um, a game that defeats me, um, even just despite my joke earlier about, um, you know, how I, I'm less tolerant of losing, I, it, that's not going to affect whether I necessarily like a game or not. It's going to affect whether I decide to pick up a game like that on my own um, later to, to play, but uh, because it's probably taking a long time for me to to, to uh, to master it, and I don't have that much time. But in and of itself, I, I, some, I think games that, that defeat me actually make me more interested because I'm trying to figure out why they're doing that and what the, what the trick is, and, and I, I like solving problems. So um, I don't think that has anything to do with uh, with it at all. So to be a little more serious about the question now, uh, yeah, I think Illitarist is actually misremembering a few things. Like, I think I ended up being someone who enjoyed Vietnam 65 a little bit less than you guys, in part because I had kind of broken that game and sort of solved it for myself. And at that point, mm-hmm, I was kind of right. disappointed that it had been so easy. Uh, yes. and, and I think actually this, this, this touches on something that I saw happen in the reaction to our, um, our Attila show, is we got righteously schooled in our forum thread mm-hmm. about all the ways like Attila is still sort of carrying on the design sins of Rome two, And, uh, and aside from that, also just some really interesting discussion of how, uh, Rome two's combat system really calculates, uh, battles and such. And it was really informative, but it was really interesting that these people who knew so much about the total war series and all the minutia of those games and were clearly sort of able to break the game at will. Um, they were the game's harshest critics. Mm-hmm. And I've seen this play out a, a number of times. Like, people who... Mm-hmm. I, I used to be that person. It, like, for me, that Attila thread was kind of a full circle moment for me. Because I remember being on quarter to three. And uh, being all of, like, you know, 23 years old. And telling Kieran Gillen he didn't know what the hell he was talking about. Uh, with, his, uh, <laughs> with, with his Empire review. Uh, because that game was crap. Empire Total War is still like in my top three all played games, which is is embarrassing to me. Uh, I don't know why there's 80 hours into a game that I remember distinctly not really enjoying. So I I think there's there is there's maybe it's related to the Chick Parabola thing where you know there's a point where where you 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 keep putting time into a game putting time into a game putting time into a game and then you sort of break it and solve it for yourself and then you realize my God like that time was kind of wasted because it was never as interesting as I thought it was. Now that I know all the tricks, it turns out to be actually much less interesting than I thought it was all along. So I, I think there, I think there's kind of a complicated relationship between mastery and enjoyment of a game uh, to the point where I think there's, there's not really any meaningful correlation or causality. Uh, but I do think maybe as you, as you sort of, as you sort of move along the, 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 the spectrum from uh, being a complete uh, tyro at something to being a master of it. Um, I, I think your feelings about that game can change in some really unexpected ways. Next question, Troy. Yeah, I think I've got one more. Um, this is from Kari Tolinius, who emailed it today, making concerned he was sending it in too late, but mm. he got Never it too late. Us. Never too late, especially from Helsinki, and it was like one o'clock in the morning when he sent it. So good for him. Uh, I've been thinking a lot about something Soren, or possibly John Schaefer, said during a podcast interview with Henrik Ferris of Paradox. 
Apparently one of Sid Meier's maxims is the computer should never have more fun than the player. The implication was the computer was often having more fun than the player in Crusader Kings 2. That non-player characters were off doing things more interesting than what the, what the player was capable of. Is that the wrong way to think about Crusader Kings 2? Is the game's true opponent the game itself? So the question is, should strategy games break from the model of having computer-controlled opponents and instead just focus on putting the player into a dangerous world? Like, for example, in Crusader Kings 2, the struggle of the players to maintain control over their own destiny when the King of Hungary backstabs you. But couldn't you be ending, couldn't you be an idiot cousin ending his life as a Mong- Mongolian saddle ornament? So should strategy games move towards more dangerous worlds? This ties into something Fraser Brown wrote, I think, about online open worlds today. So should the strategy games be more putting the player into danger instead of having giving them computer opponents that are having fun? Put it into danger like my computer's going to blow up? I don't, I don't understand. I guess, the, should the player be having an... Should, I guess that's a good question. Should the player be having a, an exciting... More exciting time than the player. I think I'll go back to Sid Meier's maxims. How valid is a maxim that the computer should have more fun than the player? So I think, I, I think a lot of Sid Meier's maxims tend to be like any maxims. They tend to be a little overused, um, and maybe they they tend to be a little oversimplified. I think that I think that is a really limiting uh, maxim. Like I think it's it's a maxim that's there that you should really be thinking about. Why does the system work this way, right? It's, it, a lot of these things are actually more of a thought exercise. I, I think they function a little more as thought exercises. Like, okay, you've made this game work this way, and it seems like the computer is actually doing a lot more play than the player actually is. So why have you made it that way? Are you sure it should be that way? And that's a question worth asking. But, like, I think in the case of a game like Crusader Kings 2... Um, what that game gives you is is this really exciting sense of dynamism where you are an actor on a stage full of living characters who are going about their own routine. Uh, it, it's kind of strategy's deadly premonition. Um, and so it's, it's going to break a lot of, it's going to break a lot of these familiar rules, but the reward for doing that is you get to sort of live in this volatile, convincing world that's unlike uh, most other games you've played. Yeah, I don't think you can you can have the player be able to do everything that the that the computer can do. I mean, that's that's sort of like an open world uh, game in which you can ha- do everything that any of the individual NPCs can do. I mean, I think part of the point of uh, of having a strategy game with f- facets like that is that you you flush out your world, you build your environment by having things like that go on. Not that you can do them or not, but I also see. Sid Meier's maxims as being kind of like Confucius. I mean, they're so wise that you mm-hmm. can just kind of speculate about what they mean, but then just go on doing whatever you were doing. Crusader Kings Two is perfect. All right, that's the that's the there's the line from there's the, from Paradox. There's the corporate line. No, I mean, I I, I mean, I just I'm kind of I mean, I love Sid Meier all the work he's done, but I think that his maxims don't. I, I think, yeah, Zen Cohen's or Confucian sayings is a good way to put them. They don't really tell you much of whether a game is good or interesting or valid. Um, like, game is a series of interesting decisions. That tells me nothing. Yeah. It's more like Circus <laughs> Maxim. Zus. Oh, wait. Okay, anyway, <laughs> next question. <laughs> All right. Okay. Uh, I'm just going to ask one that, that I've been sort of rubbing my hands over uh, since it popped up in the... In the Yo, fo- in, the window where you're going to smoke a cigar. Okay, right. yeah, go ahead. Uh, no. Uh, why do so many 4X titles focus so much on tactical battles? This, believe it or not, this is not an alt account. Like, this is not me. This is, uh-huh. this is a listener, okay. a wise listener named uh-huh. Kilius II. Uh-huh. Do you think that the genre's preoccupation with tactical battles is a strength or a weakness? Is it just inertia because a master of Orion and master of magic? So, I'm actually going to take point on this because I, I agree with a lot of the premise of the question, but I actually think i know a little bit why these games sort of obsess about stuff like this and i think it's because of players like me when i was younger Mm -hmm. where i loved i was obsessed with the possibility of games to be super granular and things that had traditionally been abstracted out could now be modeled in detail and 
everything could be sort of seamless. You know, it could be, you know, from down to the, every last belt buckle, every soldier, all the way up to the, you know, the concerns of the Emperor of France. And uh, I, I think, you know, one of the reasons Shogun was so exciting, Shogun, uh, Total War Shogun, uh, when it came out, one reason why it was, it was so exciting is because, you know, my God, like you're playing this this strategic level game, and you were fighting this war over 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 Japan against all these other these other opponents. But then each of those battles, you moved your armies around the chessboard. Each of those battles turned to a real time battle that you had to win, and then that that effect would sort of echo through your game, and it sort of reinforce each other. And that was really very exciting at the time, and so I think. I think one reason for this is, is not just that, uh, that that Moo did it, but it, I think it's also just that that is a really alluring idea, and a lot of people who like games like this want that level of control. They love that. They don't want something to be abstracted away that will then affect their game. They they want to have their hands uh, on every possible lever, and I you know I think that's one reason why you tend to see these these systems baked into games like this. Yeah, I think that the the uh, tactical combat exists for one reason. That's that all the gamers want it. I mean, that's that's what people want. Uh, I, I mean, I understand that there are, there are players who don't want that, but I think they're in, in a minority. I mean, people just it's a, it's the issue of control. It's the idea of um, you know creating sort of your your uh, you know imaginary world down to the level of the you know combat because combat's such a big part of any game. You want to say, oh, you know. I'll, I, I could win this combat if I just move these, you know, lancers this way. Um, I, I don't think it's ever going to go away. And I think that there's something very, um, something really very attractive about it to the type of person that plays strategy games to be able to control the tactical combat. Yeah, I think this is pretty much with us to stay and trying to think of games that don't have, you know, at least some level of, for um, that don't have some level of tactical combat. I guess it depends on what you consider Civilization Five to be. Is that really tactical combat or uh, not? See, I or, because... But yeah, so even then, I mean, so I'm trying to think how which games do and which games don't. Look, does Endless Legend count? Because you have armies and then you have to break them up. And if that counts, why doesn't Civ Five? Um, I mean, does 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 Gal Civ count? Where you just build the web, build the ships, but you don't control them. But you have to consider your ships when they go into the battle. You don't fight the battle, but you have to think about how they're going to perform in battle. Then you've got to see it all play out. But this has been an issue for. I mean, games have been doing this. I mean, since I mean, see, yeah, I think Mu was probably the first one to do it. But you know, imperialism had these battles, and uh, of course, the Total War games and Elemental, uh, uh, the Encha uh, Fallen Enchantress has uh, the tactical tactical battles. And you know, the I mean, my only problem with them is eventually I just get tired playing them, and I just end up doing auto resolve and auto resolve um, unless it's a battle I really, really need to win. Um, which is kind of disappointing. I mean, right? I mean, you end up, there's just something you're engaging in all of the time. It's an important part of the system. And the more often it happens, and as you're successful, it's going to happen a lot because successful players will fight a lot of battles uh, because they're going to be making enemies and uh, conquering things. And because it happens so much, you'll end up pulling yourself out of it and deciding when do you press a button, when do you not press a button. And that is not an interesting decision. Um, but they do take time, and they are uh, a commitment of resources, and I think they're valuable, and I think they're they do speak to this primal urge to you know control everything. You know, people have often from the very first Europa Universalis, people have asked, you know, why don't you have tactical battles? It's, first of all, it's a real time game, so it wouldn't work uh, at all. So I'll just make a turn base and have tactical battles. I mean, for a long time, when people did not under quite understand what EU was, people have been wondering why we didn't have you know little Napoleonic battles to interact with and you know just make it make a turn base that because that's what it's about because um, they were interested in the total control and controlling the armies and missing that it would not fit in the entire system but they, they got the mythology they got the what we we're trying to sell what we paradox been trying to sell in that game from the very beginning but their head is still stuck in this mythology of you know ultimate control and ultimate control means you know f fewer dice rolls fewer trusting you know the terrain modifiers um, battle's important. I should I should be in charge of this very important battle, um, which I think is you know quite a common feeling. Troy, you, un, you that is a perfect segue to the, a question I didn't know where to fit, but this the, you you set it up too perfectly, so I think we just got to go to it. Okay. Uh, this question is from uh, one of our uh, 
one of our forum diehards, uh, but I'm going to botch the pronunciation pronunciation of this. Uh, Gaizo Kubanu. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, what games do you think had notably more authentic control schemes than their peers? Uh, like, for example, most traditional RTS games have very unauthentic control schemes, right? I mean, you have this omnipotent bird's eye view over anything with impunity, give out orders instantaneously, and orders themselves are hyperlocation specific. Then there are abominations like Total War's general camera, which simply sticks your camera to your general without adjusting anything else in the game, so giving out simple move commands becomes impossibly difficult. Are there any games that took something like Total War's general cam, but then instead had you issue out orders, say, via flag carriers? Or RTS games that put more thematically consistent restrictions around, con- around your control, like, say, Company of Heroes did with Suppression, or Wargame does with Intel? Sid Meier's Gettysburg. I mean, that whole kind of, that idea of uh, giving orders to units and having the more orders you gave uh, meant that the it, the longer it took them to execute the orders. And uh, um, I think they're come. I can't quite remember. It's been so long, but their command level uh, it influenced how fast they executed those orders. And uh, hey, Flashpoint campaigns. That's it. That's the whole mm. point of Flashpoint campaigns. Yeah, yes. that, that, that was one of the examples I was going to give. Flashpoint campaigns and also Scourge of War, playing yes. at the low, play, playing at the lower level, the Scourge of War, uh, take command games. Um, at, the, at the higher level too, if you, I mean, you you can control everything, but really the best feel for the game is you command a lower level thing and you wait for your orders, and you can see the other battlefield around you, but you can't control it. You command what you can see pretty much, and you trust your courier to get the orders. But yeah, Flashpoint Campaigns, I think, is the best because it really is, I mean, you can see everything that's going on on the map, so it is kind of a satellite view, so if that's a problem for you, then it won't work. But just because you can see it doesn't mean you can do anything with it. I think that's one of the great lessons of Flashpoint Campaign is you have to wait for people to finish doing what you told them to do before you start messing around, especially if you're playing the Soviets, because the Soviets have no flexibility at all. I mean, they're just a brittle, brittle hammer. Um, and the Americans have some flexibility, but again, they can get very easily confused, especially if they're behind enemy lines. So yeah, Flashpoint campaigns, I think, as far as command and control, is probably, I would say, the most interesting. Uh, the Panther game series would be another place to look as well. That's yep. another game that plays okay. with like orders getting lost or reshuffled yep. or misinterpreted. Uh-huh. Uh, so it becomes very much a... that That's a series where one of your, your routine command dilemmas is... Are these guys not following the order because things are going bad down there, or are they not following the order because they never got it? Uh, and so, do you just let play things play out, or do you risk confusing things further? Um, a game that I never played, but um, I'm sort of fascinated by, and I, I reread Tim Stone's uh, piece on it probably two or three times a year, mm-hmm. uh, is a game called Waterloo mm-hmm. uh, by mm-hmm. um, let's say Breakaway Games. No, this is an old, old game. Uh, Peter Turkan uh, made a game called Waterloo uh, that is very, very old. Uh Uh, And you had to give commands via a sort of text parser. Uh And so you would write, so you'd sort of staple these these orders together. So uh, the example example you, you could say, the example orders he's giving is say, uh, so uh, Daerlon form an attack line from La Belle linking with uh, Rael to the east flank. Kellerman gives support to Rael. So you you sort of staple these orders together uh, by sort of filling in blanks and then using references from the battlefield and everything. The other thing is that you could only see what your general could see. Uh, So, and it was actually a little more limited than uh, games like Scourge of War. So you, you really did have to move around the battlefield to sort of see how your orders were actually playing out. But then, of course, you ran the risk of sort of being, you, you couldn't give orders while you were moving. Uh, and, and so there's, there's, all these, there's all these things that this game is really about. Like, what is it like trying to ma- manage a massive engagement uh, from horseback um, where you can only sort of see what's in front of you? And you can only sort of work through these subordinates, which I think is just fascinating. I think, um, you know, if somebody were to remake a game like this today, I think it would be like, I would be so happy. Like, please, somebody kickstart that. Because uh, I think that's a really exciting idea that I don't think anybody really picked up on. And I don't think even Scourge of War, uh, which is a series I, I, I think is really cool. 
um, I, I think they're probably even a little more forgiving about it because you don't have to just operate through uh, couriers. Uh, and the other thing is that at higher levels of command, this is I, I understand why they did it. it. You have to make the game playable. But if you're commanding a core commander, they will sort of let your command your your camera float a little higher, uh, so you can see more of what's going on. Uh, when probably the more authentic thing would be, you know, you just sort of have to get it. You have to keep in your head uh, a vision of what your core is probably doing. Uh, but so that that's something that that I find uh, that that's a really exciting game idea. I think. Before I move on from it, any any other games sort of come to mind uh, in terms of like authenticity of, of, of strategy game control? I mean, the one that I did not like was Harpoon Two, which took it like you would give submarines an order and then they'd go underwater and you couldn't talk to them again, mm. which kind of took I think control a bit too far because sometimes I water my sea wolf. Damn it! I sent it in the wrong place, but yeah. until it comes, that's radio silence. Uh, but that had very faithful uh, command and control. I don't know about um, Air Naval War Command or Command Air Naval Warfare. Uh, it's a game that I want to get into uh, on my vacation um, because it is a type of game that I used to spend hours and hours and hours with. Um, but I'm assuming it's going to be somewhere in there. But again, you're like an all-powerful admiral giving orders to a bunch of different fleets but there are it does have jammers it does have miscommunications so who knows uh troy did you get a new question uh via the the forums just now perchance i did oh god in episode 107 oh my lord 107 i was i was younger then uh, in 2011 tom chick said strategy games were in a golden or a platinum age have things become even better since then? Why? Does that make it more difficult to cover strategy games? This is from our viewer or listener viewer, listener Roke. So are we still in a golden platinum age for strategy games? Tom should be here to answer this so, since, he's yeah. the one who, since he's the one who said that. Damn it, Tom. I mean, I certainly feel like, uh, you know, I no longer feel like my cup runneth over. But I think if you'd asked me this question, I think I was talking about that exact feeling, though, toward the close of last year. I felt like it had been a really great year. And so I, I think right now there's just a little bit of maybe, um, you know, spring and summer doldrums a, a little bit. But I think if you look in terms of, like, what we're getting each year and, and what we're playing, uh, I have to say, like, that feeling has probably continued and it's just gotten better. And not just because you're here, Troy, but like, you know, at this point we, we've spent how much time talking about a game like EU4, uh, having EU, having a game like EU4 constantly on rotation means this is a pretty damn good era to, to be playing strategy games. in. but I don't think it stops there. Uh, this, you know, this is a year that's seen Grey Goo, uh, come out the last, last year saw ultimate general Gettysburg. So I think there's tons of exciting things. And I, and I feel like, um, Maybe it's easy to lose sight of the fact that it will. It may stop feeling like a golden age because this might start to feel like the new normal, uh, and I hope it does. You know what I mean? I hope it. I hope this no longer feels like an era and and just sort of becomes like, well, this is just how like exciting and dynamic strategy games are. Uh, I suspect it won't be that way. Things are things always move in cycles. I suspect you know. Five years from now, uh, you know, when we're all just, uh, you know, shadows and dust, uh, you know, 3MA is shut down because there's there's no good strategy games anymore. Sorry, sorry guys, strategy games are dead, mm -hmm. uh, along with PC gaming. Uh, we'll look back on this era with, with a lot of fondness. Bruce? I, th I feel like things have kind of... The tide has receded a little bit, but um, there's still more games coming out that are good that I, than I can play. Mm -hmm. uh, so I'm not, I'm not really, fe I think it's only kind of a theoretical uh, ebb tide. It's uh, as far as I'm concerned. And from, from where I'm sitting, I'm still all wet. Yeah. It's, there's just so much now. I mean, since steam has pretty much, you know, opened the floodgates, which is great. You know, more games are getting to more people. I'm not going to, as long as they're going to be, you know, the arbiter or where people get their games, I'm not going to say, Hey, shut, shut the door behind you. But it's like, it's hard to discover new things because there are so many new things. Um, some good, some bad. Uh, so there's not always, you know, great things coming out. But there's a, there are a lot of really good things coming out. There's some really interesting things. Like I've been spending time on this steampunkish city builder called, called Lethus, 
which has a feel like an old impression city builder, only made with like half the budget. And it's got some, you know, some neat, interesting ideas of, you know, how to have supply chains and that sort of thing, plus an interesting setting. And will we have time to do a show on Lethus? I don't know. Who has time to play Lethus when there are so many other things going on uh, in strategy games? I mean, we'll have, we spend, I, it's, there's just so many, is this a golden age or is this just an age of, a whole lot of bronze coming up. There's a lot of really, really good games this year. Uh, I think twenty, well, I think 2015 will have as many highs as 2014 did, but we'll have you know some really notable uh, achievements for sure. But yeah, I think we're, we've reached the point where strategy games aren't in danger anymore. I mean, they're not. They're not. I don't think they're a genre that's going to be worried about going away or that people aren't going to be making these games. Uh, they've. I mean, if if Yugen can find a market for its war game series and still keep making them, and now they're making a, an RTS again, active aggression, active aggression, this looks I really mean, cool. If 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 Yugen can make a go of this with you know th- three titles of this really weird looking, I mean, you have Ruse and then the war game titles. And these are not normal games people play, but they clearly did well enough to stay in business. Uh, so I don't think this is, I think strategy games have proven that they're viable at a certain uh, budget point for sure. I think the big problem, uh, like I said, is discovery in that websites, and this is a problem on the PR side, and it was a problem when I was a freelance journalist, websites and magazines don't have room for a strategy expert on staff because the games take so long to play, you won't be getting a whole lot of review content out of them uh, unless you have to do all these other things and then they're not being the experts you need them to be because they have to play everything else in the field. It's not like being a JRPG expert. Those games take forever, but they're all quite similar. Or being an FPS expert where there are a few really, really big titles. Strategy games, you don't know what the big title is going to be all the time. There's not going to be a total war. You know, it's not going to be a sieve every year. There's going to be a lot of these smallish, interesting things going on. So you don't have, you don't have time for that sort of discovery. So Kotaku's not going to have a strategy expert and Polygon's one of a strategy expert. And these sites, and I understand that it's a budgetary decision, but that makes it really hard for um, you know average readers who are curious about this sort of thing to stumble up on them, unless they go to Reddit or they go to other large forums um, or they listen to us. And even us, we don't talk about half the stuff out there. Um, it'd be nicer. It'd be nice if we had the time to make you know three moves ahead, kind of a place where you can find all the news about strategy games. But we don't have, but we don't have any budget, let alone enough budget for that. Uh, so discovery is a problem because there is so much. Um, so it is hard to keep up. It is hard to find time for all of the good things and also the average things because, I, to quote, you quoted Tom Chick on your question, uh, Tom had a a, line, a a term that I used and then appropriated and adapted called noble junk, which he referred to a game which, you know, which, you know, looked good at good intentions uh, but didn't pull anything off. I mean, I adapted that to, you know, a, a game that's noble junk is a game that has one really good idea. The rest of it doesn't fit, but it's got one really, really good idea, something that should be adapted. And that's what I call a noble junk game. And the strategy world is full of noble junk games, and we don't have time to play them or promote them. Yeah. Uh, so have, uh, maybe a set of questions I want to wrap up on, yeah, but uh, mm-hmm. there's just one that sort of made me smile. And I just wanted to ask it. Troy, I might have to ban you from answering this because you're Canadian. Okay. Uh, yep. but what is the best way to beat the heat? The cheaper the solution, the better from Grumbelt. We have heat in Canada. Not like Bruce does. No, not like Bruce does. Mm. Bruce, how do you beat the heat? Besides air conditioning. Uh, I just work in the hospital all day. And they, they deal with it for me. Okay. So a few years of medical school, you're saying, and uh, you're ready yeah. to go. Yeah, pretty, pretty, perfect. What do you say? Get some nurses to sponge you. Uh, yes, and grape leaves. And grape leaves. There you go. Uh, no, Grumbelt, I, I, I feel your pain. Uh, I'm in Boston, and it turns into a fetid swamp in the summer, and I do not have central air. Most, but most, uh, most apartments here don't. Uh, so I've got a, an air conditioner in my bedroom, uh, which I, I really think that's kind of non-negotiable, really. Like, uh, you sleep better if, it, if it's cool in your bedroom. So if it's like 75 degrees, as that's your evening low. Like, buddy, you got you got to get an air conditioner, okay? That's just that's just not livable. Um, but as far as, like, just getting through your day uh, w- when there's a lot of heat, 
you know, I find it, it really helps to, uh, you know, get up and, and seal the house up around like 10 a.m. as the heat of the day starts to build. And uh, that gives you a few more hours. And then, um, you know, I, I tend to just keep the lights down and, uh, and you know, I sort walk of around naked. fool myself. Uh, well, yeah, absolutely. Copious nudity. Let's not even like yeah. clothes. Clothes are the enemy in this in this equation. Yeah. Uh, I yeah. don't recommend uh, drinking tons and tons of like gin and tonics, for instance. I did that one summer. Mm. Uh, but it turns out that having sort of a standing hangover makes you feel worse in the end hmm. and doesn't solve the problem of the heat. <laughs> Interesting. Okay. Just yeah. that in mind. That's yeah, science. sorry to disappoint you, Bruce, but it uh, turns out like uh, the G&T is not a substitute for medical school. Wow. Okay. All right. Good to know. Uh, the last set of questions all come from Turrican, and I'll I'll ask each each one. Uh, I'll ask them uh, separately, so we can all just go around quickly and and, uh, mm-hmm. and answer mm-hmm. them. First of all, uh, what podcasts do you listen to and enjoy? Um, I listen to really only one other podcast regularly, and that is uh, Sawbones from Justin McElroy. Oh my and goodness, his, it's so much fun! And his wife Sydney McElroy. It is a podcast about. Um, Weird medical facts and weird medical history, how we got to where we were, like grave robbers and uh, blood diseases and patent it's like medicines the Nick and all this podcast stuff. form, but with less cocaine. Yeah, it's a, it's, a, it's a short podcast. It's about you know, 30 minutes generally, which is good for me on, on the, the treadmill. Um, so that's the one I probably listen to the most regularly after the three MAs that I miss. I'm not, I occasionally I'll find a new baseball podcast, but I don't have one I'm really in love with yet. Um, especially now with baseball season, since you know hockey season's over, I'll probably be finding a new baseball podcast to, to listen to. I listened to a baseball prospectus one much of last year. I may go back to that one, or I may find something else. Bruce, you listen to anything? Um, I don't really get a chance to, um, but uh, I do like Dan Carlin's Hardcore History podcast. Unfortunately, it's uh, very uh, uh, infrequent, um, but um, I mean. I don't know who doesn't love uh, this American life, but um, yeah, I, I don't really, I don't really listen to. There's, there's no podcast I listen to, um, except uh, in the car or, uh, well, mostly in the car. And um, I, I would, I would uh, listen to either one of those. Uh, so uh, obviously, I enjoy uh, our friend when when he when he posts them. I really enjoy Soren's uh, designer notes. Uh, those are always interesting conversations about game design. Uh, I enjoy Idle Thumbs itself was one of my favorite podcasts uh, long before I started doing this, uh, you know, sort of seriously professionally. Uh, you know, continues to be excellent and really, you know, really insightful about, uh, you know, issues in game design and the way we pro- we discuss games. Uh, and then, you know, just maybe this is a little more surprising, but a podcast I've really gotten into lately would be uh, the Giant Beast cast. Uh, which is the sort of giant bomb e- uh, East Coast New York offices gang uh, getting together and discussing it, and that that fills a that fills a need for me, uh, which is that I don't work in an office. I don't really like you know have coworkers I can sit around and shoot the breeze with, and so like I, I find that's actually helpful to sort of tune in and listen to like guys like you know Vinny Caravella and Alex Navarro and uh, Austin Walker when he's on the, when he's on that show. Uh, it, it's helpful to sort of hear them just sort of discuss, uh, you know, the games that are, they're playing right now and the news of the day. And it sort of gives me a chance to sort of vicariously enjoy uh, what it would be like to do my job with coworkers, uh, which sounds really sad now that I say it. But uh, honestly, like if you're an independent contractor, if you're a freelancer, uh, this is a reality you have to deal with. Right. Like how do you sort of right. replace the social uh, socialization that a lot of a lot of jobs bring? Sure. So, yeah. So that's probably uh, what, what I listen to the most these days. Uh, next question from Turgan. Uh, so what other genres of game do you play? RPG, sports. And uh, what are some of your favorites? Uh, I play quite a few RPGs. I like, you know, quite a few roguelikes, and I've talked about those before. But I'm really into sports sims, uh, especially out-of-the-park baseball, I think is probably my favorite sports sim of all time, and it's now in version 16. For the last, God, four or five years, I've been in an online multiplayer league, and it's run by Bill Abner, who used to be an editor at uh, Computer Games Magazine and used to be one of my editors. He's a really great guy. And, you know, it's got I mean, Soren Johnson used to be in this league and John Schaefer used to be in this league. And we just, it's been going for, I think, 25 in-game seasons now over the last five years. How many penalties uh, have you won? 
I've won none, but my team is finally good. I've been the laughing stock of the league for the longest time, but I, I've won the division the last two years in a row. Um, can't, and I've uh, two actually, my team's won three division titles, two of them had won in a tie breaking game to win the tie with the second place team. So we've had, we've had some luck, but we've never gotten past the uh, first round of the playoffs into the championship. All right, sounds like you've managed to to in in twenty five seasons. Sounds like you've managed to make the Brewers. So congratulations, you're closing <laughs> any day now. There we go. Yeah, so I think that is that, so. That's part of the genre people might expect me to not play a lot. I'm trying to get into the East Side hockey game, mm-hmm. which I've heard good things about, and I want to get into that and play some of that uh, because the franchise hockey manager that the out of the park baseball people do just isn't scratching that itch for some reason. Yeah. Didn't you said hockey? But I thought that went out of. I thought there's it's back that, now. They, it's, they, oh, it's back. They, they brought it oh, back. It's back in, in pog check it out. in pog form. Yeah, it's uh, <laughs> it is. It's a, and who, 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 who's the developer of that now? It's uh, it's SI. It, it's uh, SI. It's, okay. Yeah, it's it's uh, it's SI. So it's football right. manager folk. There Good. you go. Um, my genre is text adventures. Text adventures. Do they still make text adventures? Bruce, I, I have no idea when you're joking or when you're putting us on or not. Yeah. Is that is that so, a real answer? That's a real answer, actually. Um, I, so, but now you have to uh, you have to understand that I consider things like Sunless Sea to be a text adventure. Oh, okay. Okay. And but I I have to say that uh, I I recently uh, found a a copy of the old uh, Infocom game Trinity. Doesn't and ring a bell. Got got about halfway through it. I, I I actually really really like I, I I'm 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 going through some old Infocom text adventures. If you can believe that, it's the totally it's totally the truth. Uh, podcast listeners, not kidding. All right. Um, uh, you have, know, have, me, have, have you tried her, her her story, which isn't no. a text adventure, but it's a new adventure type game. Which is no, I've not. But it involves you know. Putting in your, it's kind of a mystery solving game where you have video, then you have to use the right keywords from the video to oh, access like more information. Yeah, it's kind of like Matlock, exactly. Uh, so, yeah, I'm, I think that might be up your alley. I've heard good things about it. Her, her story. Uh, yeah, I mean, I kind of play just about everything. I, you know, if you like favorite genres, uh, I play a lot of racing games, uh, I play a lot of shooters, and, um, you know, and increasingly like RPGs, right? Like, I think I have RPG franchises I play a lot of. Um, like, I'm, I'm, you know, way, way into the Witcher series, and The Witcher Three has just been like the highlight of my year so far. So, you know, stuff like that is is uh, on, you know, is is getting heavy rotation right now. Um, but yeah, I, I I tend to sort of cover all those bases, both by preference and by sort of professional responsibility. Um. Okay, so final question from from Turkin. Uh, it's the Desert Island game. Uh, what's what's the strategy game you bring with you to your Desert Island, uh, and why? Oh man, I I had that answer. Uh, but I I think I'd have to. Just, I think I'd still after all these years. I think I still have to say combat mission. Whoa. Old, like original OG combat mission. Yeah, let's go Barbarossa to Berlin. But okay. yeah, yep, that's uh, you know all the other games that I was thinking about. I was thinking of like, well, what about you know Imperialism Two? That was I was thinking about that. Um, I was thinking of you know there's there are other games that uh, you know Jagged Alliance, uh, all those things. You know Mule. I I loved Mule, but of course I would never. I mean, it doesn't work anymore. You have to play it with multiple people. You have to play on you know the the single television screen kind of thing with joysticks. Um, I've broken, you know, Eastern Front 1941. Um, I think that Combat Mission would be the game that I could just play over and over and over in different different scenarios from different sides and still have that, that exactly what I wanted, which is that sort of tactical Eastern Front feel. I think that I would probably never get sick of it, especially if I'm on a desert island. All right. To keep things interesting, because Bruce has set the bar. He had an answer. Yeah. So, Troy... <laughs> You can't list I mean, five games and then pick one. You gotta say one. Am I allowed to say European Over Cells Four? You are. Yeah, because sure. I mean that is. I mean it's yeah. It's, the, it's my company makes it, but it's also I think probably 
of all of our company's games, I think of all the games, it is probably my favorite, uh, one of my favorite all-time strategy game. There are things that, I mean, I can do so many things in it, and there's so many possibilities, and so many different stories, and there's like all of these different countries, and all of these different leaders uh, that I can play and, extend, and just toy with. Um, if I was able to mod, I could get into the whole modding scene on my island and, you know, put the mod in a bottle and throw it out or whatever, however they do that uh, in the movies. So I think what we'll be opening ourselves for, it is, it is large, it is um, malleable, it's infinitely playable. Um, I mean, the far, the original European Universalis was the first PC game I bought on, on release day. I mean, and no one buy, I never bought games on release days because I'm not I'm not that kind of person. But EU4, I heard this weird game from Europe, EU1, I heard this weird game from Europe was coming over to North America finally, and I got to play it, and I've been in love with the series ever since. I'm just lucky enough uh, to get to work with them. Um, yeah, but EU4, I think, is the game that I would play, that I would take with me to a desert island. Though Combat Mission is making me reconsider. I will just say uh, my Steam account probably, like, it agrees with you, Troy. Like, like if I look at what I've actually done, that's probably the smartest play for me taking a game to to my desert island. But uh, I think if if I were if I were packing for my desert island, um, I would bring a game called um, Shortwave Radio. And I could use it to ask for rescue. That's great. Okay, sorry. All right. Um. You'd bring, I've got, I've you'd got bring a C plus plus compiler and write your own. Yeah, yeah, no, like you leave me on that desert island forever, and you would still end up with like, yeah. What did you do, Zachney? Oh, I made a crappy version of Minesweeper. Oh, <laughs> okay. Well, uh, on the other hand, my crappy version of Minesweeper would become my Wilson. So you know, I think I would um, the Operation Art of War. Okay. okay. I think if you're because yeah. because I could I could build my own scenarios in that. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. And you haven't said anything about like not being allowed to have a library with me. Uh, but you know this mm-hmm. is one of those things where is it is it my is it my favorite game of all time? Do I think it's the best war game? Do I think it, do I, it, it's it's not? But when I, when I think about games that have just absorbed tr- like huge chunks of my life and just pleasurably as well. Uh, the operational art of war is is really high on that list. Uh, there, there, I remember so many good scenarios in that game. I remember scenarios I returned to again and again because mm-hmm. they were they were games unto themselves. And mm-hmm. so I just think, you know, if I were if I were staring down the barrel of uh, spending the rest of my life on a desert island, mm-hmm. uh, I think that's probably the the game that's coming with me. Nice. We gotta get tricky on. We really do. We really do. All right. Uh, so. This is a first. Uh, we have answered just about all the questions I, I highlighted uh, for this show. Uh, regular listener Gormangas uh, did ask a really good question about the Chick Parabola. We've touched on some things about the Chick Parabola, uh, but he basically asked if it might be time to reappraise it and, and discuss it in, in more detail. But honestly, I think we should get Tom Chick on to talk about that. Yeah, and uh, maybe like really talk about what it actually is and yep. uh, ways it's been misapplied. But I didn't feel yep. like that was. I, I felt like that was a can of worms that we couldn't. Ah, uh, that's another show we can do that as a separate yeah. show. Uh, so anyway, so that covers all our shows. Thank you so much uh, to everyone who wrote us with questions. Uh, they were they were fantastic, and I think this is probably our most successful uh, Q and A show ever because we actually we actually didn't just sort of chew questions over for an hour apiece. Mm-hmm. Well, we also have Bruce. It's usually just the two of us. Maybe. Yeah, we had an extra person. That's that's yeah, that's probably what saved us. There you go. Again, I save people all the time. All right, all right, sounds perfect. All right, we'll be back next week with more three moves ahead and then some kind of topic about <laughs> something, a game. Fantastic. Okay. Until next week. Good night. Good, good night, night everybody. <laughs>